invite you to remain standing as we read from Scripture this morning. Our Scripture reading comes from the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. We'll read verses 31 through 34. Let's read together. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Has anyone worried this week? So is the laughter because yes or no? Or, right? It's like, oh, I'm so beyond that, those poor people. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, and set you at ease. I, I have worried this week. We had a, a big change in our family on Friday. Our daughter, our, we have one child, and she went to pre-K. She, she entered school for the first time. And, and so this whole week we were getting ready. You know, we went to information day, and we were trying to take everything in. One of the things that I learned is next year I need to allot a lot more time for information day than I did this year. And, but, but we went, and, uh, and we got to meet her teacher, who made a really nice first impression. We got to have a nice two-minute conversation with her. But, you know, we went home, and, and I thought about it. Okay, anyone can make a nice first impression. We are trusting our precious daughter with this person who we barely know, who presumably has been certified by the state of Oklahoma to teach pre-K, but I didn't see a piece of paper. And now this person that I barely even know is going to have an outsized influence on, on my daughter's life. I mean, really, besides us, she's going to be spending more time with her teacher than, than anyone else. And, and we're trusting her. And I'm thinking of all these things that can happen. And, you know, she's, she's got such a sweet spirit. But, you know, I know at some point someone's going to say something to her that, that's going to hurt her feelings. That's going to make her sad. And, you know, I, I, I don't really know the, the timeline of when these things happen. But I know at some point she's going to come home crying because, because someone was mean to her. And, and I think about that. And I, I, I want to be able to protect her. And, and, and I, can't, I can't be there, which, I mean, is good. I, I shouldn't be there during the day. But I still wish that, that I could stop all those things. I think about everything that can happen, and, you know, we think she's, she's really bright and, and uh, really well-adjusted for a four-year-old and, and social, but, but who knows how she'll do? I, I don't have any idea. I can guess, but, but I worry about that. And, and so we worried about that, and uh, one thing I wasn't worried about was whether or not she would look cute. She was super cute. <laughs> and uh, if you can't read the bottom, when I grow up, I want to be Elsa, so... Hopefully, magical ice powers will come somehow. I don't think that's in the curriculum. But, uh, you know, so, so we were ta- taking her for the first day and getting ready, and, and we prepared as much as we could the night before, and thankfully, we weren't running late. We're going to save that for day two of school. And, uh, and we got there, and mom and dad are kind of, you know, tense, and, and we dropped off her things in her cubby, and we saw her teacher and said hello again. She made a good second impression, too. That was a great 15-second conversation, and and then we went out to the playground, and, you know, our daughter saw this new playground that she had never been on. She was like, okay, bye, Mom and Dad. I'm going. I've got to play. But, but she did great, and it was fine. But, but that whole week, we, we were worried, and, and I have a feeling I'm probably not done worrying yet. It's just something that we do. And, uh, you know, someone's laughing because they know we've got 12 more years of this. <laughs> and from what I remember, it doesn't get better, right? <laughs> 
but, but we worry. There's so many things that are out of our control. It's, it's not reserved just to back to school week, right? I mean, there are all kinds of things that we have to worry about. We, we worry about, about our family, and, and we also worry about our jobs, the things we have going on there, and, and um, the, you know, our finances. Will, will we have enough? Am, am I ever going to be able to retire? Did I retire too early? How am I going to you know, make all of this last? And all those things, there are so many things that we worry about. And yet what Jesus tells us is that it's possible to live a life without worry. He says, do not worry. And, uh, and he's, he's not being sarcastic whenever he says that. It's really something that he teaches us how to do. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, we're in the middle of a, of a sermon series called The Best Teaching You'll Ever Hear. That's not a description of this sermon. That is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that, that he gave. That is the best teaching that you'll ever hear. And so we're looking at that over the last few weeks. We've been going through that. And um, we're in the second half of chapter six now. And uh, if we've not met, my name is Brandon Blackson. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'm really excited to be sharing this word with you. Uh, pastor Mark and Chantel are, are off to see, they're on vacation off to see the Redwoods in California, so, um, so we're praying for safe travels for them and a great trip, but uh, it's, it's good to be with you today. And so uh, just to kind of catch you up and, and remind you if you've not been here or to let you know if, you, if you've not, um, the, where we started was at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a, a part that we've traditionally called the Beatitudes. It's a word for blessing. And uh, one of the things that we learned from that is that the kingdom of heaven is available to everyone. Jesus specifically lifts up groups of people who, who are easy to look down on and say, there's no way that person is blessed. The poor in spirit, they're clearly not blessed. The, the people who are grieving, they're not blessed. And he says, yes, th- those people are blessed. And the kingdom of heaven is open to them. And so Jesus says, everyone is invited. Then the next week, we learn that God's kingdom enables us to love everyone, even our enemies. So whenever Jesus says, love your enemy, that's, that's also not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. He actually expects us to do that, but he gives us the power to do it as well. And so that's not just the family member that, uh, that we have to put up with every now and then. It's not the person down the hall at work who really gets on our nerves. That even includes people who actually wish us harm. Jesus says, love those people, and he enables us to be able to do that. And then last week, Jesus taught us how to live and how to pray, and specifically how to live beyond the opinion of others, that we don't have to be subject to other people's opinions, that we don't have to worry about what people think about us. Our our reputation is not the final word on who we are. And this week, he teaches us to let go of worry. And, uh, and we heard him saying, do not worry about tomorrow, for today has worries enough of its own. And uh, I'm sure some of us can relate to that. We've got plenty of worries with us. And uh, you know the thing about worrying, it doesn't get us anywhere, right? And has anyone, like, ever worried yourself out of a problem? If so, maybe you can preach next week. I'd really like to know how that happens. But, but worrying doesn't help. It's neither profitable nor productive. Whenever we worry about something, it doesn't somehow make things better. We don't benefit from it, and it doesn't solve the problem that we're worrying about. Basically, we take a possible future negative outcome, and we bring that negativity into the present. And so we, if we get to experience it in the future, which who even knows? We, we don't know what's going to happen. But we do get to experience the, the negative part of that in the present. And, and so there's not much to be gained there. And I don't know about you, but I don't really like the way that I feel whenever I'm worried. That doesn't feel good physiologically. It doesn't feel good emotionally. It's, it's not beneficial. I don't really like, you know, whenever I'm worried, I'm not at my best. I'm not treating others the way that I want to treat them. Usually my, my temper is shorter because I'm anxious and, and stressed. And that's not the way that I want to live. And Jesus teaches us a better way. He teaches us how we can actually live beyond worry. 
how we can let go of it. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what we're going to hear from him. And so we're going to look at the, at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we start off by, by learning about treasure, by learning about treasure. Jesus talks to us about where our treasure is. And so in the second half of, the, of Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're picking up at verse 19. Uh, Pastor Mark got us the, from 1 through 18, those verses last week. And, and this week, he uses a seri- Jesus uses a series of analogies to teach about, to teach about wealth, possessions, and worry. And it's an interesting passage. If you just kind of read it straight through, it almost seems kind of disjointed and random. Like he's just kind of just saying whatever comes into his head at that time. Like, that sounds good. I'm going to say that. And, uh, and so he starts off by, by talking about treasure. And, uh, and so this kind of disjointed and random seeming discourse continues. And, and after that, he, he starts talking about, about eyes and lamps. And, and the, says the eye is the lamp of the body. Then he goes on and talks about servants and masters. And then he talks about birds and, and about lilies and then about seeking the kingdom. And so it's kind of, I mean, you can read through that and maybe you've done that before if you've read the sixth chapter of Matthew and you think like, all right, Jesus, I, I appreciate that you're teaching about a bunch of random stuff. What does that have to do with, with any of the other stuff that you're saying? And actually, he's lining it up and teaching us uh, um, about worry. And if we read them in context, that they actually build on one another. So that's what I hope we're going to see because it's a really powerful teaching if we can hear it and apply it to our lives. And so we're going to start at the end where he ends up, and, and you just heard this, but, but it's good to hear again. He, he ends up, so do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. And so as we're going through this, I just want to keep the conclusion in mind. Where he's taking us is what it looks like to live a life free from worry. And, and so back to the beginning then, this is how he starts this section of the sermon. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. So one of the things that, that probably you've figured out by now is that, is that stuff is not all that secure, right? I mean, I've got a house, and, and it's great, and I've lived there for a year, and stuff is already broken. I've already had to fix stuff. Now, granted, two other families lived there before I did, so there's a little wear beyond just the year, but, but stuff breaks, and we know that things that we have are not necessarily secure, and even our financial assets, and I don't know about you, but I've grown up, every bank account that I've had has been FDIC insured, but, but even that we know is not completely secure. And even if we take really good care of things, eventually they, they kind of degrade, they, they start to, to fade, and, and uh, they go away. The things that we have on earth are, are temporary, None of that lasts forever. And so he reminds us of that. He says, don't store up your treasure on earth. Those things, if you treasure those things, you're bound to be disappointed because none of those things is going to last forever. Instead, he says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is how he concludes. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There your heart will be also. The things that we treasure the most, sometimes it's easy to think of that as, you know, just something that we like or something that we pursue because, you know, it's, it's what we do. What, what he tells us is those things that, that are our treasure, that's actually where our heart is. There's actually something going on, not just, not just action devoid of anything else, but those things actually have a hold on our heart. And that affects the things that we value. It affects the way that we live. And, and one of the things that we can see as he teaches us about this, if we keep the end of that in mind, what he's teaching us about worry is that our worries show us what we truly treasure, what we truly treasure. 
Does anyone here worry about things that you don't care about? Do you ever worry about things that, that don't matter to you at all, right? Uh, there's not a single hand up right now in case you didn't look around. That, we don't worry about stuff we don't care about. We worry about things that we matter to us. And so whenever we find ourselves worrying, what that actually tells us is not just that we're worried, but it tells us about something that, that, that we treasure. It tells us about what our treasure truly is because if we're worrying about it, then it really matters to us. And so sometimes we, we can even go a little bit deeper and see that, that, what, that what we think we're treasuring is not what we thought we did. And so I know one of the, one of the struggles that many of us have is, is trying to balance our, our work and our family, trying to provide for our family and then spending time for them. And, and sometimes our, our worry sends us into spending more time working than, than maybe we ought to and we end up neglecting our family. I don't know about you, but I know that, that I've been there before. And sometimes what that actually tells us is not that we value our family, but that we value the security that money brings, that we want security for our family, and what we're actually valuing is is what we think can get that to us. And so we end up prioritizing our work, spending time away from our families, over actually being with them. And and it tells us something about what, what we actually treasure, what we see as important. Now, I don't want to make that and oversimplify that. that. That's a difficult balance for all of us. But we have to be careful that the thing that we think we're treasuring is not the thing that we actually treasure. And so we, it, what, we, what we worry about tells us something about what we treasure. And Jesus says, don't treasure the things of this earth. Don't treasure physical things. Store up your treasure in heaven. Later on, he'll be a little bit more clear about what treasure in heaven looks like and how we do that. And so he continues on and, and, and moves to another analogy. This time he talks about the eye. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, this teaching is a little bit confusing just because in the first century, there was a different understanding of how eyesight worked. Um, now, I'm, I'm not an optometrist. I know that's surprising to a lot of people here. Um, but basically, w- the way that we see is, is by light coming into our eyes, being reflected off of surfaces, and, and our eyes pick up that light, and then our brain translates that into an image that, that we can see. In the first century, instead of seeing light as something that was received, it was something that was projected. And, and so that's kind of what Jesus is talking about. That's why it's a little bit confusing. But, but however you understand that, maybe we'll, we'll in another 2,000 years, they'll understand eyesight completely differently and look at those 21st century people and just, oh my gosh, how primitive were they? But, but the, the point is the same. What, what we see, and particularly when we look at it in context, whenever we see what he was talking about is what we treasure, and so if we treasure the wrong things, if, if we treasure things that lead to darkness, then it affects the way that we see everything. It affects the way that we see everything. What we value changes the way that we perceive the world and the way that we interpret things. So you've probably seen this kind of uh, concept in action if you think about somebody that, that you know that their kind of worldview is everything bad happens to me, right? Have you ever known someone? Maybe you've gone through a few weeks where you've been that person. I've maybe lived there a time or two. But, but something bad happens, and, and then, you know, it could have just been, 
right? A bus schedule got messed up and it threw everything else in the day off. And, and yet it, the, that interpretation, that, that underlying belief leads to, well, bad things happen to me, so of course that would happen, right? And have you ever been around someone who, who sees everything that way? That, that belief changes the way they perceive everything else. And so in the same way, what we treasure changes the way that we perceive everything else. And if we treasure things of this world, if we treasure possessions, if we treasure wealth, then that's going to affect the way that we perceive everything. And we won't be able to perceive it in the correct way. We won't be able to see things in the way that that God would have us to see them. We won't be able to see them with with the eyes that that Jesus wants for us and, and to see things according to the values of the kingdom. What we treasure defines how we see the world, and when we treasure things disproportionately, whenever we treasure things disproportionately, they distort our perception. If we see our stuff or, or our assets or whatever that is as, as more important than they are, if that's our treasure, then we're not going to be able to see anything else correctly. It's going to change the way that we see everything. And so he continues, and this time with, with another, another analogy, he says, no one can serve two masters for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And whenever he talks about hate and, and love, he's not talking so much about emotions as, as behavior, as, as the way that we act. And so um, if we love one master, that basically means obeying them. And if we hate a master, that basically means disobeying them. And so whenever our, our things, whenever our things are our treasure, whenever, those are, whenever that affects our perception, then it ends up becoming our master. It ends up controlling us, and really, that's, we're not able to do the things that we want. Whenever wealth becomes our treasure, it also becomes our master. So about a year ago, we, um, we decided to become homeowners. We were moving to Edmond and had previously lived in homes that were owned by the churches that I was serving. And so uh, we decided that was a step that, that we wanted to take. And uh, homeowners is probably the wrong words. We're more, more like minority stakeholders in a real estate investment. <laughs> Hopefully, eventually that's going to change, but, but not quickly. But so we, so we made this decision and, and we were going through the loan process and, you know, we had to verify our income so that the mortgage firm would know that, that we'd be able to make our payment once, once we moved in. And so they were looking at our income, but, but we ran into a problem because I hadn't started my job here yet. And so they wouldn't count that income because it wasn't secure enough because, you know, you had to be working so, um, so many months in order to say, okay, this person can hold a job down, which uh, it, it kind of hurt my feelings the mortgage company didn't think that of me, but, but so they only looked at my wife's income, and so, you know, about half of our income they were looking at, and uh, we had the house picked out, and it was within our price range, and, and it was uh, an amount that we could live with, and they looked at it, and they said, okay, yeah, oh, you can qualify for this, you know, you can qualify for a lot more, a lot bigger loan than that, and I was thinking, okay, this is half of our income, and this is a payment that we can make. It, it's not comfortable to make, but, but we can make it. Okay, it's, it's kind of comfortable. I need to be careful. I'm spilling too much information about my financial life. <laughs> but we can qualify for a lot more on half of our income. I mean, we've lived with that payment for, for a year now, and it's fine. We've made it every month. And, and, but it's not like if it were a lot more, things would be really difficult. And yet it's easy whenever they're telling you, you can qualify for a lot more and, and you think, you know, a house is a big investment. We're probably going to be here for a while. I don't want to settle. And it's easy to get into that. And then you've got this mortgage payment that, that's occupying everything that you have. And, and really what happens whenever you, you take on a little bit more than you need? You worry. 
And that, that becomes a consuming thing, and that's all that you can focus on is making sure that we have enough because we've got this, this major worry, and it ends up this, this thing that, that is great, that, that should be a blessing to our family, actually becomes our master. It's, it's the thing that we serve. That's what our possessions can do to us. That's, that's what wealth and, and all of those things can do. You know, there's some interesting research that the American Psychological um, Association did that, um, that the number one stress of, of Americans... Is, is finances. That's true for low-income individuals. It's also true for middle and high-income individuals as well, which is kind of counterproductive. You think, you know, if you're, if you're on the upper end, you've got it made. Like, you're not worried about where your mortgage payment's coming from or whether you're going to have food on the table. But, but one of the things that they found is, is the more we get, the more we worry about losing it. Because once we have a lot, now we've got to protect it and we have to dedicate our energy to, to having that. And so it, it becomes our master. It becomes what we serve because we have to protect what we have once we've accumulated it. That's what happens whenever, whenever wealth and possessions become our master, whenever they become our treasure. We mistake where our security comes from and we think our stuff, our things, our assets are where that comes from. So where does our security actually come from? What is actually the source of our security? That's where Jesus goes next. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes on to describe the birds of the air and says, look, birds don't have, they don't have bank accounts. They don't build barns so they can store up all the seeds or berries or whatever it is that they collect. They just go out and, and eat what they can. And, uh, and God provides for them and they still have food. And then he also talks about the lilies of the field and says they neither toil nor spin. And yet look at how beautifully they're arrayed. Like even Solomon, who, who was the, the the most wealthy, most decadent king of Israel, even he could not compare to the lilies that God made. They don't work. They don't do any of that, and yet God has, has given them all that they need. You know, it's interesting to think about, uh, about the clothes that you wear. We have that concern today, too, although I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think he was talking about, you know, like actually having clothes and being warm enough whenever it's cold. But, you know, first week of school, you're really worried about what clothes you're going to wear, Right? Our daughter wasn't worried, but we were worried on her behalf. She's going to have a super cute outfit for the first day of school. And, uh, you know, then you get a little bit older, and you've got to have just the right clothes. What clothes are cool? If you went to junior high at the same time I did, you needed to have Jinko jeans, which um, the one leg is about this wide. So not to constrict your movement. I don't, I don't think it actually worked out very well, but, but that was important. And then I got into high school, and, you know, then... It stopped being important to me what I, wear, what I wore and what people thought of me. And so I had a very specific outfit chosen to communicate how little I cared what people thought about me. And my hair was just messed up enough in the right way that, that everyone knew. But, but we worry about those things. And, you know, we, we worry because we worry that, that our security comes from wealth and possessions and from our reputation. That's, that's what that concern comes from. 
You know, we, um, we just got back from vacation. We went to Colorado, and while we were there, we visited Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, one of the things that we did was we went up Trail Ridge Road, which is, uh, goes up uh, really high, and you can see some beautiful vistas, but we stopped on a trail. Um, it was called the Tundra Communities Trail, and it was over 12,000 feet was the trailhead, and it, it wasn't that steep because we we're in the level of shape that, that we're in, and, but we could do it. And uh, so that's, that's the trail. You can kind of see it. And so at 12,000 feet, you're up on the top of a ridge line in the Rocky Mountains. And it's an extremely difficult place to live. The, the growing season, because of the temperatures, the growing season is only about six weeks every year, six weeks out of the year, because otherwise it's too cold. And uh, they get really, um, really strong winds. And the winds are so strong that whenever it snows, it gets a lot more snow than rain, but the snow just blows away. And so the, the plants have to be able to live on just a few inches of rainfall year, and yet somehow there are these plants that thrive there. And so you can see there's nothing very tall whenever, um, whenever the soil's rocky and the winds are high. Um, you're not going to have anything that grows really tall and the oxygen is thinner up there. But, but there are plants, and, and there are even these beautiful wildflowers that we got to see, and, and, and flowers that only, be, only bloom a few weeks out of the year, and, and, and yet they live there. They're able to survive. And while we were there, there are even animals that live there Year-round, my, my favorite is the yellow-bellied marmot, and uh, we, we saw one that was apparently not afraid of humans, and, and he or she smelled something that was uh, apparently good underground. Maybe, I don't know what they eat, but, but was looking for something. But we got to see this, this amazing animal that somehow lives on top of a ridge line in the Rocky Mountains, and, and it was just, it was amazing me to think, you know, Jesus talks about consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and I think, you know, there, this is one of the most inhospitable environments on the earth, and yet God has created creatures and, and plants that can thrive there, that live there and thrive, and, and where does their security come from? I mean, they don't have houses, they don't have bank accounts, they don't have any of that, and yet God cares for them. And whenever we realize where our security really comes from, not from what we have, not even from our reputation or any of those things, the one that it comes from is from God. Then we're set free from the things that would enslave us, that, that would make us servants. Freedom from worry comes with the assurance that God is completely trustworthy. And when we learn to trust God with everything that we have and everything that we are, then, then we're set free. We're no longer required to, to spend every moment that we have seeking after things and, and trying to accumulate as much as possible and then, and then to protect it at all costs. Because we know that, that at best that stuff will last a while, and, but, you know, it can always be taken. We don't know what the economy is going to do. We know that recessions and, and depressions come, and, and those things happen. But what we have from God, the inheritance that we have from God, is eternal. It's something that can't be taken from us. And so how do we live that out? How do we live that out? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. This is how he continues. Therefore, do not worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? And this is how he concludes. He says, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. If you grew up in the church, maybe you remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's, that's where our security comes from. And Jesus says, don't invest in all of these other things that, that can never secure you, but invest in the things of God. Store up your treasure in heaven by seeking first the kingdom of God. And so what that means is, is investing our time and investing our energy, investing our hearts 
choosing as our treasure the things of God, investing in our relationship with God, spending time with God, spending time worshiping, and then investing in the people that God loves as well, loving as Christ loves us, spending time. Because whenever we are loving someone else, especially whenever we're reaching out to those people that Jesus included in the Beatitudes, the people who are left out, what we're doing is not just doing a, a random act of kindness. It's not just, a, you know, a, a nice fleeting emotion. What we build whenever we have one act of love with one of them lasts eternally because it's investing in the kingdom of God. It is investing in the things that God loves because we store up treasures in heaven by treasuring what God treasures, by treasuring what God treasures, by saying that the people that God has created, the world that God has created is something that I treasure. I treasure each and every one of God's children having what they need, having enough, the righteousness and justice of God reigning in our world, the, the will of God being done on earth as it already is in heaven. This is how Dallas Willard puts it. He says, invest your life in what God is doing, which cannot be lost, and what God is doing, which cannot be lost. And so as we go through this week, I want to challenge you to, to live this out in two ways. These are our action steps for this week. First, whenever you find yourself worrying, ask, what does this worry tell me about my treasure? Sometimes our worries can tell us things that, that we don't know about ourselves. And so whenever you find yourself, maybe before you make it to the parking lot today, and you find yourself worrying, ask yourself, why am I worried? What, what is it that I treasure that is threatened that I'm concerned about? And what does that tell me about what I really treasure? And then invest your time this fall in what God is doing. It's the time of year when many of us are looking at, uh, at what our schedules are going to look like for the rest of the calendar year. And I know this week my, my wife and I were looking at the OU football schedule and figuring out which, which games we could fit in and which ones we were going to have to watch on TV. But, but as you're making those plans, as you're looking at school calendars and vacations and all of those things, I, I want to challenge you to make it a priority to invest in the things that God is doing, to serve God's children, to make it a priority to spend time in your relationship with God, to grow in those things, to treasure what God treasures, to invest where God is investing. Because that's how we store up treasure in heaven. That's where we store up treasure where it can't be touched, but where it lasts forever. I had a, my grandpa died a few years ago, and whenever he died, I got some, some things of his one of those is his compass from whenever he was in the army. He, um, uh, on the day, he, the day after he graduated from high school, he got on a train to go to the army. It was 1945, and he was pretty sure that he was going to be in the occupation army of Japan. And, and uh, I'm sure that I can't even imagine how much he was worried and how much his parents were worried. But, but the war ended, and, and so he ended up going to Germany and being part of the occupation army. And, and I got his, his army compass that he carried with him whenever he went to to. Germany almost 75 years ago, and I have this. It's one of the most precious things that I have. But you know, if, if I lost this, if it got broken, because I have a four-year-old and nothing I have has a great chance of lasting. <laughs> but if, if she breaks it, if my dog gets it, if I just lose it, you know, I'll be sad but I also know that, that the reason I treasure this is not just because it's a historical heirloom. I mean, it's irreplaceable for sure. But I treasure it because of my relationship with my grandpa. And you know, whether I have his compass or not, that relationship, I'm completely secure in that relationship. I'm completely secure in the love he had for me and the love I had for him. And I know nothing can change that, not, not something. Whenever we're secure in our relationship with God, 
It doesn't matter what happens to our stuff. It doesn't matter what happens with our things. Whenever we're completely secure in that relationship, when we trust completely in the love that God has for us, we don't have to worry. We move beyond that because we know that ultimately our well-being is not defined by our stuff, it's not defined by our bank accounts. It's defined by the one who created everything that is and who sustains us every day, who loves us more than we can imagine. We pray with me? God, only you know all the worries in this room this morning, but we know there are many. And so this morning we offer them to you. We pray that you would take them, that you would set us free from them. And whatever it is that we treasure that's causing us to worry, God, I pray that you would help us to let go of those things and treasure the things that you treasure, to store up our treasure in heaven and to value what you value more than anything else. We thank you that you love us more than we can imagine, more than we can ever know. We thank you for your son who taught us how to live and even taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.